Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Happy Holy Week to everyone. This is the week when the church all around the world celebrates the final week of Jesus, beginning with Palm Sunday and, of course, reaching its crescendo with the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. And so while we will be doing it a bit differently this year, uh, it will be no less important to us this year. I'm used to at this time of year, many books and articles being released that seem to be designed primarily just to poke Christianity in the eye. Uh, Usually people use this as a way to generate book sales and things by releasing the most controversial books possible, most controversial articles possible. Uh, I grew up when the Jesus Seminar and academic um, set of, uh, I guess they call themselves scholars, that were coming together to try and dispute the resurrection claims there in the Bible. Uh, Some years ago, Luke Timothy Johnson and others from uh, a group of Catholic scholars and others uh, offered the counterpoint to it, and it became a great academic debate that was very much, in my opinion, won by the Christian scholars that were debating ever since then, whether it was Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins or anybody. This is the time of year when people release books in order to get people to... um, Oh, basically get upset and buy their book and talk about them in the media. So thankfully, we don't have to endure that this year. But that doesn't mean that none, nothing will be said or nothing will be published. And so I'd like to begin by reading something to you that I hope will increase your faith just a little bit and give you a further example of what I'm talking about. This is from a book called Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion by a woman named Rebecca McLaughlin. She's got a PhD in Renaissance literature from Cambridge. She also has a theology degree from Oak Hill College. Very, very outstanding book. I would recommend it to you highly. Um, I've got my book of the year on my blog. Uh, Just an outstanding book. In it, she's dealing with the question, aren't we better off without religion? So we're going to start with a quote from Rebecca McLaughlin. From there, we're going to talk about the importance of Bible study in a very basic, simple way for you and your children to be able to study the Bible together. And then we will uh, finish with some reflections on humility as we head into Good Friday. So let's start with Rebecca McLaughlin. She's addressing the question, aren't we better off without religion? And I quote her. Atheists have boldly claimed the moral and intellectual high ground, even when that has meant trespassing. In a popular 2011 TED Talk called Atheism 2.0, School of Life founder Elaine de Botton advocated a new kind of atheism that could retain the goods of religion without the downside of belief. He salivated over the black American preaching tradition and the enthusiastic response of congregants, quote, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Christ, thank you, Savior, end quote. Rather than abandoning rapture, DeBotton suggested secular audiences respond to atheist preaching by lauding their heroes. Thank you, Plato. Thank you, Shakespeare. Thank you, Jane Austen. One wonders how Shakespeare, whose world was fundamentally shaped by Christianity, would have felt about being cast as an atheist icon. But when it comes to Jane Austen, the answer is clear. A woman of deep, explicit, and abiding faith in Jesus, she would be utterly appalled. Likewise, at the 2016 Reason Rally, designed to mobilize atheists, agnostics, and nuns, that's uh, N-O-N-E is how that's spelled, uh, multiple speakers invoked Martin Luther King's March on Washington, as if a rally that despised Christianity would have pleased one of the most powerful Christian preachers in American history. In the same year, she writes, 
I stumbled upon an Atlantic article that promised to explain, quote, why the British tell better children's stories, unquote. As a Brit living in America, McLaughlin writes, I read it eagerly, only to find it arguing that American children's stories are less compelling because they are more Christian. The author cites Lord of the Rings and the Chronicles of Narnia as examples of stories shaped by paganism, failing to note that Tolkien and Lewis were passionate Christians who grounded their stories in the death and resurrection truth claims of Jesus. J.K. Rowling, another author referenced on the side of good old British paganism, chose not to disclose her fragile Christian faith until the last Harry Potter book was published precisely because of its Christian influence. She feared it would give the story away. The trend persists, and an oddly appropriating act, the 2018 film version of Madeline Lingle's A Wrinkle in Time expunged its many Christian references, and she goes on from there. McLaughlin's overall point is that people try to appropriate Christianity or, or the, the bells and whistles of Christianity, and I would say at this time of year it's most potent because Easter is transformed from a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus into just simply a feeling of good tidings and buying cute dresses and hunting Easter eggs for people. But as Rebecca McLaughlin reminds us, and of course the New Testament did long before her, there is no Easter without Jesus. There is no Palm Sunday without Jesus. And in fact, Paul would say, there is no hope without Jesus. So with that in mind, I want us to turn to the scriptures because this week of all weeks, it would make perfect sense for us to renew our commitment to studying the words of Jesus and the scriptures themselves. Wouldn't it be sad if we got through this entire era that we're in right now and we didn't avail ourselves of the possibility of being able to renew our hearts and our minds just as we have the opportunity to spend more time with our families and to reflect on some of the deeper uh, things in our lives. God's word would be helpful to us if it were the first and the last particularly. So let me encourage you. In the age we're living in with the cacophony of fear-mongering going on all around us about what's going on, while we're trying to be attentive to the needs of our health and the needs of our families, let's not forget the importance of allowing God's word to have a preeminent place in our lives. I think it's wonderful to make it the first and the last thing that a Christian does in their day. Because generally, what you do first and last sets the tone for, on the one hand, the day that you're going to have, and then, on the other hand, the sleep you're about to have. And so giving God's word that foremost spot is something that can be an enormous blessing. I want to turn to a very simple Bible study method that I use and have used for years. Uh, it's one that I inherited from a pastor by the name of Wayne Cordero in Hawaii. I read a book of his called The Divine Mentor. He makes mention of it in there. And it's very simply covered by the acronym SOAP. Now, I'm not a big acronym guy in general, but it is helpful to remember the process. And it is helpful if you have children and you want to teach them a very easy way to study the Bible, this is a great way to do it. So for adults and children alike, SOAP is a great method. So I want to encourage you to open up the Word of God if you're wondering where to start. If you were a brand new person to the faith in general, I would normally refer you to the Gospel of Luke, and that is certain, certainly a great place to start. It has a lot of parables and really gives you a great feel for who Jesus was and what his life was like in a very historically accurate way. If you are 
a veteran Christian, I often send people to either Psalms or Proverbs. I think that during this season, Psalms and Proverbs are a great place to start. If you were going to take Proverbs, one of the things, for instance, that you would discover is there is a lot of lingo like that uses the phrase, my son. My son in that refrain is there because Proverbs was written to help instruct uh, young leaders in uh, the way of wisdom in order to train them for service in the king's court. So uh, there is just tons and tons of wisdom in there. So I'm going to teach you using this method with the acronym SOAP. S stands for scripture, O stands for observation, A stands for application, and P stands for prayer. I will give you an example. Proverbs chapter 1-7, if you were to open it up, what you want to do is, is take chapter 1, maybe read chapter 1 and 2, Okay, and don't speed through it. It's not a speed reading contest. Read it as though you want to understand what it's saying. When you get there, read through there, see if there's a verse or two that jump out to you. Okay, so for instance, in Proverbs 1 and 2, the one that would jump out to me and as for a long time is Proverbs 1 7, which states, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, that verse, you can spend a lifetime dwelling on that verse. But let's just say that you were going to take that particular verse, and that's what jumped out to you. Okay, so you'd, you'd write soap, kind of spaced out down one page. I like to use a journal that's uh, devoted just to my devotions. Uh, I like to put a little index in the front, and I'll, put, I'll title most of these, uh, give them a title, and I will get, put the scripture in there and a page number on the pages. So I will have an index, so when I go back, um, I will be able to find out where I was, when, uh, what day I wrote certain things, and it's a really wonderful way to just catalog your journey with God. So if I was taking soap, okay, and I were going to apply it to Proverbs 1-7, here's what I would do. I would take Proverbs 1-7 and the S, okay, I would literally write the verse out by hand. So I would start with S dash and then I would write out, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, underneath that I would put O, that stands for observation. And I would make an observation about the text. What was it that, that hit me about that text? So I might say something like, the fear of the Lord is something that is put on the back burner for a lot of people today, including myself. But it's clearly one of the most important things to God. Okay, that's an observation. An application of that might be um, that, let's say that there's a sin in your life that you've been coddling. Uh, the application might be, I need to take the fear of the Lord more seriously, particularly as it applies to this particular sin, because the fact that I haven't addressed it shows me that I could revere God more than I do. Okay, so I need to repent of that or, or something of that nature, right? So you write that, that you're your A on the S-O-A, then you go to P and you come up with a prayer based on that verse, okay, and, and whatever you've applied. So your prayer might be something to the effect of, uh, God, forgive me for the times that I haven't revered you the way that I should. I want to be wise. Help me to learn to fear you more faithfully, um, to revere your name above all others. Amen. Okay, so you write those things down in a row, all right? Next day, you keep reading, you wait for something to jump out, you give it a title, you put the text in there, and you start your soap, okay? Um, and you just keep going down there. So uh, a good pace, I think, for most people is a couple of chapters a day. If you 
are, you know, depending on the book you're in, you might want to do less than that, or you might want to do more than that. In Psalms, I think you can do more than two. Uh, I think if, and even in Proverbs, I think you can probably do more than two if you want to, but you just don't want to give short service to something of amazing depth. And so I would encourage you to, when you're going to do this, and I'm going to give you an example of one of mine. I'm going to actually read you one of mine here in just a second. But this is great for your kids because it helps them to uh, remember how to study the Bible. So as you're going through this, don't miss out on the opportunity to read the Bible with your kids. You could do a thing where your family does soap in the morning and then in the evening you guys share with each other what you studied and what you wrote. That's a very simple way to do it. Um, you could, you know, get them a little journal, get them, uh, you know, a pen or whatever kinds of, of things you think will make them want to write. Um, you know, at least for me, I have pens that I just love and, uh, writing with that pen brings me joy. And so sometimes just the ability to pick that pen up and write in something that I enjoy writing in, uh, gives me the little nudge I need to keep going, uh, on a daily basis. So, you know, take the opportunity, don't let this go by this opportunity to spend some time with your kids and teach them the importance of studying the word of God. So I'm going to give you a soap routine right now of mine. This is Hebrews 11, 6. Okay, so I'm going to start with S. This is the scripture. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Okay, so that's the S. O, observation. Faith is more important to pleasing God than we think. A, application. We live in a world where people think being good is all that it takes to please God. Just as faith without works is dead, so works without faith is dead. Faith gives us the reason and the motivation to do good. P. Prayer. Father, increase my faith. Make it like that of Moses, Abel, Noah, and other heroes of faith. I want to please you with my deeds and my faith. Amen. Very simple, very basic, very short, actually. So it comes on the heels of me actually doing the reading itself. So I usually begin with a prayer, then I read the text, and then I do the soap routine. I hope you'll find it helpful, and more than just finding out the method, I hope you'll put it into practice. If you have another method that you enjoy uh, and that brings meaning to your life, I hope you'll do that. But that's mine, and that's one I found be effective for lots and lots of people. So... Um, you know, feel free to jump in and go through Proverbs with me. That's what I'm going to be doing here over the next uh, couple of weeks. And maybe we can somehow cross paths and, and share what one another's uh, been studying along the way. Andrew Murray was a South African missionary and theologian. He really knows how, a lot of, like a lot of people in that era of history, knows how to use the English language in a miraculous way. If you're looking for a book that will really help you do some serious reflection here during Holy Week or beyond, I could recommend his book called Humility, The Journey Toward Holiness. It's not very long, very tiny little book, about 100 pages, but it's, it's in their tiny little pages. Um, something you could, you could probably read in one sitting if you chose to, but you should not. You should probably read it in about 50 sittings and really spend the time to dwell on it. He did some deep, some of the deepest reflection that I have seen on the subject of humility since the Apostle Paul. And so I want to read you an excerpt of that as we head toward uh, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then of course to the empty tomb. 
we think about the humility of Jesus, not just the humiliation of Jesus, but the humility of Jesus, who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant. So here is Andrew Murray, and we'll close with this today on the subject of humility. All of this to make it known throughout the region of eternity that pride can degrade the highest angels into devils, and humility can raise fallen flesh and blood to the thrones of angels. This is the great end of God, raising a new creation out of a fallen kingdom of angels. For this end, it stands in its state of war between the fire and pride of fallen angels and the humility of the Lamb of God, that the last trumpet may sound the great truth through the depths of eternity, that evil can have no beginning but from pride and no end but from humility. The truth is this. Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. Under the banner of truth, give yourself up to the meek and humble spirit of the holy Jesus. Humility must sow the seed, or there can be no reaping in heaven. Look not at pride only as an unbecoming temper, nor at humility only as a decent virtue. For the one is death, and the other is life. The one is hell, and the other is heaven. So much as you have of pride within you, you have of the fallen angel alive in you. So much as you have of true humility, so much you have of the Lamb of God within you. If you could see what every stirring of pride does to your soul, you would beg of everyone you meet to tear the viper from you, though with the loss of a hand or an eye. If you could see what a sweet, divine, transforming power there is in humility, how it expels the poison of your nature and makes room for the Spirit of God to live in you, you would rather wish to be the footstool of all the world than want the smallest degree of it. And so Andrew Murray goes on with some deep, 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 deep reflections on humility. And so this week, as we remember the Lord Jesus Christ, both his humility and the glory of his resurrection, let me allow, allow me to bless you with these words from Scripture. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. God bless. Have a wonderful Holy Week. <music>